You're listening to In Network, Nordic's podcast series where we explore healthcare and technology with experts from around the globe. Hello and welcome to the In Network podcast feature, Making Rounds. I'm Nordic's Head of Thought Leadership, Dr. Jerome Pagani. I recently sat down with two of Nordic's practice leaders, from digital health, Kevin Erdl, and from implementation, Andy Splitz. Having worked in analytics and reporting at Mayo Clinic for nearly a decade, Kevin now leads a team at Nordic that works strategically with healthcare organizations to build and support digital and cloud solutions that transform their operations. Andy's spent over 35 years in the healthcare industry, starting by serving as a medical technologist in the U.S. Army and leading to the founding of S&P Consultants, a Nordic global company, and now a market leader in Cerner implementation. At Nordic, he leads the implementation function across various business lines. In today's podcast, we talk about the changing data and technology landscape within healthcare. Andy discusses the current state of a wide range of implementations across the globe, while Kevin talks about how to incorporate net new technologies into new and existing implementations for optimized efficiency and safer security practices. We dive deep on Internet of Medical Things devices, personalized data, the growing role of automation in healthcare informatics, and the power of pairing implementations with digital innovations. Time to make rounds. Andy, Kevin, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Happy to be here. Glad to be here myself. Thank you. We're going to talk a little bit today about how the data and technology landscape is really shifting. And we're starting to incorporate new data types, things like uh, consumer-generated data from wearables, Internet of Medical Things. We're seeing different types of data, uh, continuous data monitoring, things like that. So as health organizations are considering how to mold their infrastructure to accommodate not only the sort of regular clinical data that you would ordinarily find in the EHR, but incorporate some of the things from uh, these new data sources, what should they be mindful of? What What should be top of mind for them, Kevin? Yeah. So one of the biggest things is how are we going to get that data into a relevant place, right? So if we're going to capture more data, which we've gotten really, really good at, like you mentioned with IOMT, we're seeing a lot more with hospital at home. It's great to be able to take your blood pressure at home. How are we going to get that into the EMR in a clinically relevant context for a clinician to be able to help make a decision or to help monitor that particular patient from afar? So what infrastructure do we need to be able to support that? Start to answer some of the questions. Do we want to store some of that data either inside and or outside of the EMR is becoming critically important. So it plays into not just your infrastructure strategy to help support the overall interoperability, but then also your data strategy, right? This is very relevant data. It's starting to help a lot of us understand what is happening with a patient to a patient outside of the four walls, as we've talked about now for the last three to five years. Um, now we need to help make some decisions based off of that information that is starting to flow. So it really goes back to some of the basics uh, behind transforming data into information and make it frictionless in terms of how we're consuming that data into the clinically relevant context. Andy, the EHR landscape is changing really all over the world. In some places, what we're seeing are implementations for the first time um, and places like the U.S. where we've had um, existing EHRs for a while. We're either seeing switchovers or consolidation of systems. How are these factors and that new data landscape really impacting implementations around the world? Well, I think um, implementations around the world is really two different things. As you mentioned, the U.S. is, is you know, completely saturated. The EHRs have been around for a long, long time. Uh, we're on the 
fifth, sixth version of those generations of those. And so it's really different. Globally, what we're seeing is they just, the healthcare isn't where we think it is. Um, in the Middle East, it's, they're trying to get to where we are. So they're probably 15 years behind where we are right now, and we're seeing the systems go in. But the funny part is, obviously, we're putting in current version systems in the U.S. So what happens is they went from paper to all of a sudden, you know, the fifth generation of the Oracle Health, so the Epics, and it's a massive jump. And so you've got physicians and clinicians all of a sudden getting all this technology without really understanding how they got to that point. What do they need to do? Do they have the structure in place? Do they have the data in place? Or how do they get the data? They're coming from paper or they're coming from a first-generation EHR. Uh, it's totally different at this point. So what we're seeing, in, especially globally, is that this is a big jump. They need help. There, A lot of them are not very successful initially. They will use the minimum required of an EHR to get through. They may even use some Excel on the side of these. So that's one thing. And again, they're not able to utilize the data where they need to go. There is no real BI on these areas because they're not seeing that. They can't get that data into the system. Even if they can, they're not quite sure what to do with it if they get it out of the system. In the U.S., as, as Kevin said, I think the wearables and those type of things is, is different. And that's where the EHR is still not quite sure what to do. So you got two issues there. Kevin went to the technology side. I'll go down the clinical side. Do the doctors want your blood pressure in there. I take my blood pressure every morning. I sit there and wear wearable, you know, Apple watches and we sit there and, and have my O2s and everything else there. That's a huge amount of data. Is it going to actually clog the, the, the basically the EHR? Right now, the EHRs are built just basically as, you know, electronic systems that house paper and a ton of data fields. Um, thousands of data fields. And what are we going to do? All of a sudden, we're going to be putting in probably exponentially four, five, six times what's in there already. How is a doctor going to know where the lab result? And how is the doctor going to know the difference if that lab result came from a glucose monitor from your house or all of a sudden came from a, a lab core? The lab core is a trusted um, you know, resource and a trusted vendor where the, mon- the, the kit that you did from your house or a device that you had or a watch that you had, who knows if that data is accurate or real? There's been no QC done on this. And so that's where I think we have to be careful. Yes, it sounds like we want to get a lot of this data, but on the other hand, I'm not quite sure the physicians can handle it. And again, do they really want it in there? They would like to make sure that patient record is as clean as possible with the data they need to diagnose. Adding additional data elements doesn't mean that helps. We've talked about this before in other contexts, but it sounds like you almost need a data label that pops up in the EHR so a physician knows where the data is yep. and how trustworthy. Yeah, um, correct. It could, be, it could be a separate module or it could be, um, you know, in Oracle Health or in Epic, it could be a whole different, you know, click on this key and you get all this data that is patient-driven data. Keep it out of it, out of the predictive analytics or any of the analytics you're doing because, again, you don't want to sit there and have unsubstantiated results in your, in your record or comments in your record or something that's in your record that a physician hasn't reviewed. Yeah, we've been really good at throwing technology at perceived problems for a while, right? Uh, but you hit on it, Andy, trusted and relevant data. I mean, right. that, that is really what it comes down to. Is it helping the clinician care for the patient? Is it helping a patient care for themselves? Those answers are no. Then what are we doing? Yeah. Then, then don't, do you sp- want don't spend more technology <laughs> or spend more time on the technology. Yeah. I mean, I literally, on my own, in my own life, I went through and had a high blood pressure ish- in- incident and basically I... One doctor said, please take your blood pressure every morning. I went to another doctor. He said, throw away your blood pressure cuff. I don't care what you get every morning. You're not trained in blood pressure. So there you go. There's two different opinions. I've, I've got both. So, you know, I, I, I hate to say it. I think he's correct. 
if I can do it, okay, I am a medic, so I could do it in the military. Most people aren't. And so, therefore, whatever they get could be completely erroneous and, therefore, uh, something that they don't want in the record. Andy, I want to go back to something you said earlier, which was uh, about implementations that are happening in other parts of the world where they're going from basically paper and pencil right to uh, sort of very mature, you know, fifth or sixth uh, iteration level EHRs. How is that impacting um, clinical workflows and and and? What do organizations need to be thinking about as they're setting up workflows for their clinical care teams? Yeah, I think I think you've got to, I don't want to say dumb down because that's a bad word, but I think you really do need to stream streamline or make sure your clinical workflows. The question is, does the site, you know, the hospital that you're going into, we had care plans years ago, you know, and so you had a paper care plan or you had a, a process that you used. So if it came in with a broken leg, these are the tests you ordered, this is the x-ray you ordered, these are the meds you ordered. That was all on paper. If, the, if you have, if you're at least to that level of care, then going to electronic, theoretically, you'd be basically moving those care plans into an electronic system. A little easier to do. Now, the question is, do they have the knowledge to do that? Or is that something that you would, you know, th- bring in a third party? But those are the type of things that you, you need to really follow. Otherwise, all you're doing is getting a bunch of data. So now you're going from paper where you know exactly where the check marks are and where the data is to a system that you're searching and you're hunting and pecking. And that's where you start seeing physician burnout. That's where you start seeing, you know, clinician uh, frustrations because they're not able to take care of the patients. Instead of being 10 minutes with the patients, they're now 20 minutes. And the reason they're 20 minutes is because they're hunting and pecking for the data. They need to be able to diagnose. So I think it's, it's a careful slope. Uh, one of the things that we're doing, we're trying to implement over in the Middle East is we are looking at that. It's a, it's a military institution, and we are very worried about the fact that we're going to bring them some of the advanced technology that the U.S. has way before they can actually utilize it and manage it for care. And so that doesn't help. We, we need to make sure we look at that process. Yeah, I was just joking with one of our non-U.S. clients uh, a couple of weeks ago where you can't just jam the piece of paper into the computer screen and expect it to work, right? You got to think through what is the workflow, what data are you capturing, and then how are you going to use it right. before you can start to get into even some of the downstream conversations. Yeah. I mean, you look at discrete data. Everyone wants discrete data. On the other hand, paper is usually non-discrete data, right? It's a sentence. So they wrote something down. Um, that's a problem. And so you're going from that paper system that's non-discrete data and you're moving into a system that must be discrete data or else you can't utilize it. So it is, it is a change, a big change. As a data geek, though, discrete data is very nice when you have it. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, before there were the big EHR vendors in the U.S., there were systems that existed that really focused on sort of narrow parts of particular care delivery, right? So you had you could have a system that was specialized for one specialty or something like yeah, that. Yeah. LIS so, systems. Yeah, LIS. So I, I'm sure there's still some of that in the U.S. Uh, we were talking about trying to integrate the EHR with, with other systems that are being used for sort of very specific purposes. But I imagine uh, globally that same thing is happening that happened in the U.S. 15 years ago. Yeah, I think it definitely is. I think um, especially with the the lab information systems, they've been around for 30 years, over 30 years. Um, They're very mature. Um, But but the, the movement for all these health centers or these institutions are really to go to all-encompassing so that, that it's a integrated uh, EHR health system that includes those systems. And so what we've seen in the United States over the last, you know, 10 years is those going away. And so you're moving to, hate to say it, an Oracle Health or an Epic because those are the two big ones. 
and you're moving away from some of the smaller systems. So you're moving away from your lab systems, you're moving away from your pack systems that were all individually uh, best of breed is what we used to call them. And, and now you're moving to integrated. So um, I see internationally same thing. Uh, lab was saturated pretty much because you can't run lab instruments without a backbone and they were the backbone. So you have a lot of really, you know, current uh, first generation uh, instruments in the laboratories. That is one thing that the, all around the world that they have, that is something that has been really up to date, but they need the systems to, to manage them. So they've managed them, like you said, in department by department, radiology and the PAC system. You'll see that where you go. They're pretty, they're pretty modern. LIS is you'll see them when you go, but what you don't see is that EHR. And so now this is what we're looking at. The United States has pretty much been doing it. We're on the back end of it. Now we're going to see it globally. Yeah, and I think one one of the things we're seeing stateside, right, as we're starting to go with an integrated environment, now we have these legacy systems. So wanting to make sure as we sunset, we're actually doing the rationalization, we're archiving the data the right way, and then leveraging it long term. And hopefully we can learn something there uh, at the global level so that we don't have to go through some of the heartburn, if you will, that we're, we're having to go through right now stateside with some of these legacy systems itself. So there is a lot of legwork there to kind of go through that process with the legacy systems. And I, I hear you saying there may be some efficiencies gained. Oh, definitely. I think there's efficiencies gained going to an integrated system. The argument's always been I've lost some functionality. Again, I don't see that. I mean, we're talking about maybe a 2 or 3% loss of functionality. All, sometimes you're actually gaining functionality because you're sitting on these older systems, these legacy systems that are 10 years old, and the new functionality is better than the, the old functionality. And so it Seems like you're losing it or changing, but the data that you're collecting is much cleaner and you're actually, the process is much better and the productivity is much higher. So these integrated systems are really the way I think that, you know, we're, we're definitely gone that way in the United States and I expect that to be where everyone goes internationally. Yeah. And as those integrated systems are uh, transpiring and evolving over time, we're starting to see some of the data become more avail available as well. So as Andy mentioned a little bit ago, sometimes it's really hard to get information out. Well, when we go with an integrated environment, the data is more readily available. You don't have to do as much integration and normalization, which can be a plus side on the clinical insights, if you will, from the, the data that we're trying to capture throughout the, the journey. Yeah. And I think one of the things that, as we're talking through the data, looking at the data, we're getting much better in the United States because we are going to these integrated systems. One of the big problems that we had, I think, up until now, where we really haven't seen the benefit of, of this data, you know, data migrations or the, the business integrations that we're able to do, we're really not able to do that because the data has been coming from multiple different legacy systems. So you've got a data, you know, data set from the lab that's coming and the data set from the, the PAC system is different. The data set from the pharmacy is different. And normalizing that data has been a nightmare. And we're getting to the point now that we're finally moving to integrated systems where the data is now in structured data within that system and you don't have it. That's going to be a big problem internationally. But I think right now in the United States, what we're seeing is we're finally getting to the point where that data is something that we can use. We can, you know, basically take in that data and then move it out into different areas that we want to. And that's just because it's not that the technology hasn't been there over the last five years. It's been the data hasn't been in the format we could use. Yeah, we just elevated our expectations. Now we expect any note, anything to be uh, in a relational structure to drive insights from. So now we're kind of on the other side to say, well, hey, it's easy to be able to get this discrete data and give me some insights. Now, why can't you do the same thing for these notes I'm capturing? Well, that's unstructured, a little bit more difficult, but there's technology we can apply to that and make it a little bit better. Andy, Kevin, what's the vision for how data will be used both inside and outside the EHR? So really, how is a modernized BI infrastructure going to support 
the vision for what we can do in clinical care. Yeah, so we want to drive those insights, right? We want to learn from the data that we've been capturing. How can we be more efficient and more effective? I referenced the transformation of data into information a little bit ago. A big component of that in today's world is the EMR, or the EHR, specifically stateside. That's a huge chunk of data, 60, 70, 80%, depending on uh, the health system uh, that we're talking about. But we also have to be able to integrate some of those ancillary systems. In some cases, we're talking about health equity. We're talking about SDOH data. We talked a little bit already today about IOMT data. So we're, we're flooding ourselves, uh, in some cases intentionally, with even more opportunities to learn something about the populations of patients that we're caring for and or to get more precise around some of the specific comorbidities that we're trying to care for as well. So there's now more data coming at us. Now we need to make sure that we have infrastructure around, or in some cases adjacent to the EMR itself, to modernize the way in which we're capturing data, the way in which we're storing data, the way in which we're integrating data. Like Andy said, at least we, we have some of this discrete available, more readily available to us, um, both within the EMR and outside the EMR. Now we need to start to integrate and we can start to put modern BI tools on top to make action-oriented decisions. And I really wanna emphasize action because that's the state in which we're at, at least um, stateside here, to be able to say, okay, we have information, How? what do we do to make a difference? It's one thing to see conditional formatting on a pretty dashboard, red, yellow, green. So what What are we doing? Does it really matter? Uh, it's red. What do we do with a red metric? Uh, nothing, maybe? Or do we say, hey, let's activate our care team and reach out to this patient population via SMS text and try to make sure that they're coming in for their annual wellness check? That might be a nice use case for some folks to consider to be able to say, not only do I have the data, I have the business intelligence on top of it, but I'm also working with my care team or with my clinical team to associate the action to that data. Yeah, I think that's the exciting thing that's coming up um, now that we're starting to see because for the last two, three years, all we heard was population health, population health. Population health is great. I mean, it, you understand what's going on in your, in your community, in your neighborhood, but population health doesn't help John Smith, doesn't help me, doesn't help them. It, we need personalized data. And so what yep. Kevin was mentioning is we're finally getting to the point where we're able to move that population health data, which is great, but move it to personalized data. So now we get, take all these data elements, we're able to sit there and analyze those data elements, whether it is in the EHR, which that's not necessarily the the role I think the EHR is playing. I think that is a data repository for all these. That's where the clinicians work. But I truly believe, like like Kevin says, an ancillary system to that that is designed to take that data and truly be able to convert that into actionable items for the physicians. Now, you got to get it back into the EHR because that's where the physicians yep. work. So that's a secondary issue that we have to deal with. Uh, how do you get it back in? So you, you can consume the data uh, in that other system, but we need to figure out how do we make it actionable to the physician make it actionable for the physician all the way down to the care team. Yep. Uh, and that's the exciting part is I think we're getting very, very close to that point. Um, we're still having issues with integrations. Uh, EHRs like to be the sole source of everything, and, <laughs> and that can be a problem. And because, again, they can't move fast enough. They've, they're dictated by regulation, not dictated by the new technology, and that's where those ancillary systems can really come out. Yeah, and we're even putting some action into the patient's hands too, right? I mean, you're talking a lot about the physician, which is 100% accurate, but as an individual, I want to be responsible for my own health, but I need the expertise from my care provider, right? So as these insights are derived, now we have different mechanisms to interact with the patients, to push some of that information to say, 
hey, Kevin, consider something other than that Snickers bar, go for a three mile jog instead, right? And what's that going to do to my health? Why do I care? Well, based off of other people like you, if you start to make some of these lifestyle changes, here's how your health will progress. And you might come into the clinic less, you might have uh, less downstream impacts. So I think some of that is very exciting to be able to see patients taking advantage of the expertise from their clinician and really taking their health into their own hands, which we should expect to see more of. Yeah, definitely. If, we, if the uh, patients have to pay for their health care, we should be doing it more. <laughs> <laughs> I know healthcare it helps me. Too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> to bring up uh, two of uh, people's favorite topics, it sounds like uh, I'm hearing a role for automation and getting the data in and out of the EHR for sure, and, as well as generative AI for on the engagement piece, both for the clinicians and for the uh, patient side. Yeah, let's get that clinical knowledge and context baked into our workflows and our processes. As a patient, that's what I want, right? I, I don't just want a bot to tell me what to do. I want to know that it's augmented with clinical relevance and expertise. And that's what we're really seeing uh, start to move the needle within some of our more innovative clients. Be able to say, hey, we're driving some unique insights. We know how to reach Kevin Erdahl as a patient, which is very exciting. But now I'm going to put it in context and I'm going to start to make a difference in his day-to-day life. Um, by introducing that clinical expertise with the bot itself. Yeah, it, it's a very exciting area and, and very exciting time to be able to do that type of stuff and bring it to the personalized data. Um, the, the tough part is, as Kevin mentioned very specifically, we're on, on certain cutting-edge clients. And so yep. I think that's one thing we've got to realize is most of us don't go to cutting-edge physicians. We go to the physician down the street. And so I definitely believe and, and understand that, yes, we're getting... I, AI is a tough stretch for me. Predictive analytics is easier for me to understand. Yep. This happens, this happens, this happens. This is the way that you're probably going to go. I think we will get AI, but we need millions of data points to do that. We are obviously talking today about how many data points are there. We just got to make sure we can consume them. Um, but you know, the key piece here is how do we affect healthcare across the country, not in the, the medical hubs of the, mm-hmm. you know, Good yes, call. in the colleges and yes, in those medical academies and yes, in Boston and New York and some of the bigger hubs. Great. They're doing some amazing cutting edge things. But what is the royal person doing in the middle? How do we get that technology and that knowledge all the way to the patient, not to the patient in New York or Boston or California, you know, L.A., but to the patient in Missouri or somewhere else in the area mm-hmm. that that's, I think, the, the part that I'm trying to figure out is, yeah, we've got to we've got to take step one. Step one is definitely always going to happen at the institutions, the, the, you know, the medical institutions and that because that's who has the money and that's where the, the experiments are going and where the, the technology is going. But the ne- other thing I think we need to really walk down the road of is how do we get something to everyone? And I'm not quite sure we're there yet. Uh, I think we really need to figure that out. Um, I think the EHRs help because you're getting your, some of these, you know, phenomenal EHRs in the middle of and, and hospitals all over the country. But are they just simply using the standard tools? Or are they able to? So I think that's one of the things that over the next year or two, a couple of years, we need to actually think about as a as a in, uh, industry is how do we how do we make this something that is mainstream and we can all get a benefit out of it. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. And and how do we learn from those that that have had success? To your point, Andy, and also how do we think about the the non clinical spaces specifically as it relates to AI, which is where I get most excited. I think about the use cases around supply chain automating uh, the PO process. We, why are we hiring more people all the time uh, to really process a purchase order? Our, that's where a bot could really help regardless of the organization. And it doesn't have to have the same level of, of rigor, if you would, around a, a clinical model itself. 
Yeah, you reduce the staffing on all yep. the operational issues within a hospital. That allows you to spend more money on the clinical, and that, that's what we care about, you know, the clinical care. Yeah. AI is not one size fits all specifically in the clinical space, no question about it. Let's go back to the strategy around uh, data infrastructure and BI modernization. So are we looking at, so to reference one of my favorite Tom Hanks movies, The Bachelor Party, <laughs> Debbie, <laughs> the car, right, one or the other, or can these things be done in tandem? Yeah, they, they should be uh, done in tandem, specifically from a strategy standpoint. So as Andy has talked about a lot, we're implementing the, the EMR in a lot of different areas, both stateside, um, even beyond. We have to think about, though, why are we doing some of this, right? We're digitizing everything. We seem to have this obsession around digitizing everything, specifically within healthcare. Super exciting. What is adjacent to that, though? Are we doing some of this to create efficiencies? Are we doing this to drive net new insights? Is it a combination of all of the above? Oftentimes, yes, or at least that's the desire. So how are we starting to co-locate some of that data? As we're sunsetting legacy systems, what are we doing with that? Because there's very valuable information. Do I even have the tools uh, available or the competencies available within a given uh, healthcare ecosystem? to put dashboards on top of some very relevant data. And when I do, and when we do, how are we getting it back into those that are making decisions? Whether it's about uh, the care that's being provided, about business operations, about um, staffing, which is very relevant in today's world, specifically around nursing and around physicians. What is that pathway? And the last piece I would just hit on is the training associated. So once we get the uh, infrastructure dialed in, once we get the technology to surface some of the data, are we training those that are making decisions how to use this net new technology? We see it all the time where somebody's saying, that's great. I have the infrastructure. Love it. I have the BI tools. That's fantastic. I have this dashboard. I don't know how to take that action that we just talked about a little bit ago. So that's the other piece of the puzzle that we have to keep top of mind that while we're doing these things in tandem, which I believe is the right way to do things, uh, we also have to make sure that we understand what the next three, six, five months and years start to look like. Yeah. And I agree with Kevin. It definitely should be done in tandem. The The problem I think that clients are having is one, they have no money. Healthcare is not a, you know, budgeting really, you know, let's put it this way. Healthcare is not in the business right now where they're making a lot of money. Uh, secondly, staffing is very low. So we don't even have enough people to do the, the care itself. And so what happens is, is it should definitely be done in tandem. The problem is, you know, how do I do both? Well, I may not be able to do both. So Obviously, the first thing you're going to have to do is put the EHR in because you need the data before you can go down and data mine and then utilize the data for other things. The problem becomes, and it's always something I've said for years and years, is we put the EHR in. All the bells and whistles go to phase two. Data innovation, all the, the BI goes to phase two. We finish phase one. Then we go on phase one to another project down the road or put in a new hospital, and we never go to phase two. And so, as Kevin said, it, it should be done in tandem. It has to be done, honestly, I think. The strategy has to be there. The budget has to be there. You have to plan on it. It may be consecutive, so it's not together at the same time, but it ha phase two has to happen. And it doesn't have to be the bells and whistles, but it needs to be the second part, looked at as the second part of the EHR. The EHR implementation is not just the EHR. It is, is being able to utilize the data, get the data out, and then also bring it back to the clinician, like Kevin said. So, I think we would love it to be in tandem, but I think it's just not possible a lot of times because no one has the money, nor the staff to do it. And right now, you know, this is a bit a very tight business. We don't have the the knowledge base in the in the hospitals to be able to do it. And so I think unfortunately we're getting to a point where it isn't in tandem and then phase two stops. And so we've got to really push harder 
so that phase two isn't five years down the road because then we put in a $50 million EHR and we're getting nothing out of it. Yeah, sometimes the right strategy is for phase two, in your example, to start in 18 months. And that's okay. That's a strategy. That's the plan, right? So we don't have people saying, where where are my derived insights? Where is my AI while we're implementing an EMR? That may not be on on strategy at all. That's coming in year X. Uh, So plan that out and and be transparent about it. Right, exactly. You got to let your leaders know and your clinical people know because they have to understand what they're getting and when they're going to get it. Uh, and they can really, you know, plan out what's going on. I mean, you've got a lot of doctors going through physician burnout and stress, and literally people, physicians are leaving sites to go to other hospitals because of systems and things they're doing. That is, as Kevin was saying, that's a bad issue. You, you know, you shouldn't be losing physicians because of a system, uh, but you also need to give them the, the ability and the tools to take care of their patients. Yeah. Easily, not at night, not not doing the work with, I forget what they call it, pajama pajama work. Pajama time. It's not supposed to be pajama time. So, <laughs> um, you know, we've got to be able to get to the point where we are actually allowing them to do the job during the day. So, Kevin, Andy, uh, you've already talked about examples of this, uh, but I want to pull on this thread a little bit. Um, how do we make sure that we are designing systems that work for the people who are both giving and receiving care. Kevin, you mentioned on the analytics side, making sure that information is presented in context. Andy, you said, you know, particularly globally, as we're uh, beginning to implement these systems, making sure that the physicians and clinical care teams are really up to speed on what the system is doing and why it's doing that. Um, and, and this is something we at Nordic are really passionate about. We wrote a whole book called Designing for Health. It's all about trying to make healthcare more human-centric. What else can we do to really make sure that, uh, that, that these systems are designed for people? Yeah, so my perspective is, to your point and to your book, Jerome, pay attention to the why. Make sure that we have a scalable and an adaptable environment, regardless of what it is. If it's an application, if it's infrastructure, if it's an interoperability strategy, we know we're going to be presented with unique questions and opportunities five years from now. We don't know exactly what those opportunities are going to be or even what those use cases are going to be in detail. So We have to make sure that any technology, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's an API, is designed to scale and, and designed to adapt. And that way we can be prepared for what's to come next. And so as Kevin goes down the technology route, I'll go back down the clinician route. <laughs> <laughs> Being a lab tech by trade, I'm on the clinician side. Uh, honestly, I believe, you know, when we're seeing successful uh, implementations of EHRs and then, the, and then other uh, systems that are insulated to the EHR, it really takes the clinical team to be involved. And you know, again, I know all the EHR vendors want you to put in model or foundation or whatever it may be, as, as vanilla as possible. But again, if the f- clinicians aren't involved and the physicians aren't involved in the design of those systems, they're not going to be able to utilize them to, t- to give the best care possible to their patients. The goal here is for these systems to support the process of healthcare and the practice of healthcare. It is not to take over them. So you should be telling these systems should not be saying, this is your what you need to do and go down this road. And a programmer built, built it. It needs to be the care given by the physician. So I go down the road of let's make sure that the physicians are involved and the clinicians are involved in these implementations, because if they're not, then the right data isn't where it needs to be. So as, as Kevin's talking about moving into the technology and utilizing the data, great. But if the doctor can't utilize it to actually treat the patient, then it's great that we can maybe move it into another system and use uh, predictive analytics to it. But, but we missed the point. We're supposed to treat the patient. 
And so it needs to be both. It needs to be something that we can treat the patient, we'll go back to discrete data like we talked about again, and then be able to also utilize it in other ways. And so I think that's where um, we have to make sure on the EHR implementations that I've been doing for the last 30 years, uh, that has always been the key. It's got to be the people that are actually doing the work that are involved. They've got to buy into it. They've got to understand it. And they need to want to go down this road. And then that way they were successful. And then we can tie in all the things that we need to because we've got a group that's actually going to use it and use it successfully. Andy, Kevin, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, a lot of fun as always. It's been great talking. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check back for more episodes of Making Rounds wherever you listen to podcasts or on nordicglobal.com. Till next time, we'll see you in network. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. This helps others find the podcast as well. 